Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. In January of 2018, the Impossible Burger first arrived in the St. Louis market. The meat-free patty was just like the real thing. It even bled. It became an immediate sensation. But it was soon snapped up by Burger King for its Impossible Whopper. After a hugely successful rollout right here in St. Louis, its popularity made the Impossible Patties almost impossible for many locals to obtain. But they still had plenty of options. Some have gone the way of experimenting on their own and creating their own tasty meat-free creations. Others are turning to local alternatives. Joining us now to discuss his efforts to provide tasty, meat-free options to both home cooks and restaurants is the CEO of Hungry Planet, Todd Boyman. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you for having us. We're also joined by Chris Bertke, the executive chef at the new St. Louis restaurant, Utah Station. Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Have you cut back on your meat consumption? What's your pick for animal-free protein and that delicious bacony taste? If you have a question or comment about meat alternatives, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Let's start with you, Todd Boyman. Your company began by targeting the food service industry. What first led to the creation of Match Meats? Yeah, so Matchmeats was started, um, and Matchmeats was kind of our pilot brand, our stealth brand, so we're now known as Hungry Planet. Um, we, we started, it was a group of individuals um, that when we looked at some of the biggest challenges that the planet faces, uh, demographic, uh, the growth of the human family, and we were trying to figure out what was the single most effective thing we could do to bend the curve on human planetary health. And so we started uh, trying to figure out how we could address that issue. And as we uh, took a dive into the data, what you find is that the single most impactful thing that you can do as an individual is to change what and how you eat. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that comes back to an overconsumption of conventional meat. Uh, so we set off on this journey to perfectly match a full range of uh, conventional meat with plant-based meats. And so that's what we've done. So we have beef, we have pork, we have chicken, we have turkey, we have crab, um, we have lamb um, to give uh, consumers a full range of conventional meat. So that's how we started and that was kind of our vision. How long ago was that? So the, the R&D actually started in the early 2000s. So we've been working on this um, very quietly, um, longer than, really than anyone else. Um, and our objective was to be patient about it, to get it exactly right the first time, not go through a version one, two, three, and four, uh, but to come out with these foods that would handle, prepare, cook, and store like conventional meat, have a full range, but would also have a helpful profile to the food. Um, and so we've been able to check all those boxes. Um, so it's not rocket science, but it also isn't a trivial problem. And so it takes years to figure that out. And, and that's you what were we've done. way ahead of the curve on this. When you first started this, were people skeptical that there even should be or could be such a thing as a animal-free meat? Yeah, no, I mean, candidly, until about nine months ago, people were very skeptical. Like, <laughs> right? you know, why are you spending all this time? And it really started as a project. Um, my background is a tech investor and a tech entrepreneur. Um, so this started as a project with with myself and some and some others, uh, just doing the R and D to move this forward. Um, so, yeah, quite frankly, until about nine months ago, everyone was still not sure, is this really a category? Uh, but um, Is it the Impossible Burger that changed that conversation? Yeah, I, you know, Impossible's raised $750 million. That will um, get people's attention. That gets people's attention. Um, and, and Beyond Meat um, had raised $200 million and then went public and raised about another three hundred fifty. million. Uh, that also gets a lot of attention. And so those two things have been wonderful kind of inflection points in the education of the market. And what we find is that this is a global phenomenon. And, you know, we may talk about that a bit later, but this isn't um, just here in the United States. Literally, um, there's demand for what we are doing globally at this point, which is really exciting. 
Chris Burtke, let's talk about that demand. Sure. Your new restaurant, Utah <clears throat> Station, recently yes. opened in Benton Park. Now, Correct. I understand you're not 100% vegan. What is your mix? So at the restaurant, it is 90 vegan, 10% meat. Uh, I'm 100% vegan myself. Um, we weren't really sure exactly what direction we were going to take the restaurant. We, uh, I did a bunch of pop-ups, and they went incredible. There was such buzz around yeah. those pop-ups. It was uh, way more than I would have thought. Um, you know, I, I, I was doing them for fun, a little bit of research, and it turned more into research. And uh, that's kind of how we came up with this. And what made you decide to include that meat element? I mean, you're saying you're 90% right. meat-free. Why even have it at that point? Uh, they, the owners really want it to be an inclusive restaurant. So meat eaters can come there, try, you know, try the vegan stuff if they want. If, uh, if they're not comfortable. If they're not super comfortable, you know, we have something to make them happy. So just to be more inclusive to everyone out there. Now, some vegetarian restaurants go really hard on the salad bean type offerings. They don't want to mimic the taste of meat or meat <laughs> right. products. I understand you're just the opposite of that. Tell yeah, us some I, of the... <laughs> I don't even think we have a salad on the menu. Wow. Um, we do technically... But it's not greens, anything like that. It's actually chickpea. I'm basically going for vegan junk food, fast food. Um, vegan junk food, fast yeah. food. I love the sound yeah. of that. And uh, <laughs> so far, so far, it's working. I think. Like, like, what would be an example of vegan junk food, fast food? Um, we're doing like a vegan version of uh, Big Mac, which mm. is selling crazy. Uh, vegan version of Jack in the Box tacos, you know, those deep fried things when you eat oh, late yeah. at night after a few drinks. Oh, yeah. Um, basically stuff like that. Whatever um, whatever I happen to come up with at midnight or one in the morning after a couple drinks, I experiment and there we go. It kind of come, you know, makes it from there. And I understand, again, at this restaurant, you're getting a really big response. People are loving this stuff. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I, this is a question for both of you, and I guess we'll start with, with Todd Boyman. Um, how hard is it to mimic that meatiness of meat without having animal flesh involved? Um, yeah, it, it's a challenge. Um, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of iterations. Um, and, and there are probably actually three different layers to figuring out how to do this. There's the taste and texture component, which in itself is challenging. Um, and then you're trying to figure out how can you do this so it actually has a healthful profile so that when people are choosing to eat this way, um, they not just are getting the taste and texture, but they're getting a, a healthful dosage of nutrients in what they're doing and not too much fat. Um, and then the other probably most challenging piece is make sure that it actually handles, stores, prepares, and cooks like conventional meat. So when you lay those three different layers together, That's a lot. Um, that makes it a lot more challenging, right? So you're playing kind of multidimensional chess, right? You're getting the, the taste and texture. You're then getting the nutritionals. And then you're making sure that it can move through the supply chain the same way. And then when it ends up in a chef like Chris's hands, it's going to behave in the way that conventional meat does. So solving that problem and doing that across a complete range of not just beef, but chicken, pork, et cetera, that uh, suddenly becomes quite complex. Chris, what are, you, what are your experiences trying to get that meatiness without meat? It's, it's been tough. Uh, I haven't eaten meat for 26 years, so I've had a lot of time to experiment. And it's, it's been hard. I think really over the past five years is when I finally got my meats, quote unquote, um, to the proper texture, 
taste, mouthfeel, everything like that. Um, so it's been tough. It, it's really tricky, like he's saying. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. What are your thoughts about um, animal-free meats, and what is your favorite pick if you're trying to eat them? If you have a question or comment for our guest today, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. We've actually got a caller here. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Um, John, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. John, can you hear me? I got bit by a tick and came down with what's called alpha-gal syndrome, and that makes me allergic to all uh, mammal products. And I just decided to go full vegan since I couldn't have my favorite pig anymore. Now, I was a chef of 25 years. Uh, I've been an executive chef at three different places. And um, this completely, totally changed my life as well as my business. We have a place down in Caledonia, Bed and Breakfast, called the Old Caledonian, and we changed from a very meaty, you know, hand-crank sausages, home-cured hams, to uh, 100% vegan. I find a lot of these meat products very useful, um, especially, you know, in things like breakfast sausages and the dinners that people can add on and things like that. It's uh, It's been good for me, and, and, you know, as a guy that used to be a really heavy-duty carnivore, it's nice to be able to have, uh, you know, an option for, for something that kind of harkens back to the things that you, you know, always loved to eat in the past but are unable, in my case, um, you know, medically so, not to be able to consume anymore. John, have you found it um, significantly more challenging to cook food that tastes good without using animal products? Um, well, sure. I mean, you know, as a guy who is classically trained, Everything, you know, has its base, you know, or almost everything in animal products, whether it's butter or it's stock or, you know, meat products themselves, cheese, dairy products. You know, it's been, uh, let's just say I had a considerable mourning period Mm. uh, when I first discovered that I had this, you know, problem. Um, But in the past, uh, you know, several months, you know, it's only been about a year since I found out. And in the past several months, I've really, um, you know, kind of, I'm a convert. I mean, I, I, I've found new ingredients, new things to try, new ways to prepare things, new things to do. It's kind of like, you know, as a chef, you're always uh, very interested in constantly uh, learning. And this was a crash course. So, you know, that aspect of it was great. John, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate that. Uh, Todd Boydman, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think, you know, some of the points that John was hitting on here um, as a trained chef, um, most chefs are not trained in how to cook plant-based. And so when their uh, consumers out there and diners are asking all the time now for plant-based, plant-based, uh, they're kind of stuck. And so what we're doing with our line of foods is to be able to come to them and, and really give them a one-to-one substitution because they're not going to go back to school necessarily, culinary school. They've already done that. And by giving them this category of food, it makes it really easy for them to make the type of transition that John was talking about without having to get retrained. It simply is a one-to-one substitution that they can use in all their favorite recipes and all the different cuisines. And it's a really easy on-ramp 
for someone that doesn't have necessarily uh, Chef Chris's uh, persistence to try to figure out how to do his own. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a turnkey way for people to use this in any type of venue. So it was really interesting to hear what John had to say about that because that's exactly the type of market and where this this entire industry is headed. Chris Bertke, I was also intrigued by the fact that he described a period of mourning, but now he's actually really happy with his right. what he's eating. Do you find that, that when people give it a try initially, they're like, oh, man, I miss bacon so much. Yeah, you're, you're always going to have people, you know, who miss it. But if you can recreate it just as good, if not better, uh, it kind of takes away that mourning period. I, I don't think I ever actually had a mourning period when I quit eating meat. Um, Maybe because you did it voluntarily. You yeah. were bitten by a tick and <laughs> True. thrust into True. this world. <laughs> it's a little different scenario. But, yeah, it's. It, I think he, he hit upon it, the caller did, that now you can, you know, he can experiment more, kind of try different things, whereas, you know, he knew how to deal with meat. Mm-hmm. That was second nature for him. Um, now he can play around with new things and come up with things that really never existed before. And there are a growing number of people experimenting in this field. Our intern, Alexis Moore, um, talked to another company that's getting into this space. She talked to Jake Heron, who's the owner and sole operator of Jake's Burgers, which is based in Springfield, Missouri. Here's him talking about how he got into the business. I've uh, I've been a, uh, I was pescatarian for about 12 years, something like that. And then uh, I, I went vegan not too long ago. Um, but around uh, in Springfield, there haven't really been too great of vegetarian or vegan options uh, for the entire time that I've been uh, vegetarian. And um, I just decided, I was like, hey, well, let's, let's fix, fix this. I'm sure that I can, you know, cook something that would be comparable to whatever they have in the stores or possibly even better. So I did. That's Jake Heron of Jake's Burgers. Todd Boyman, are you seeing more competition as other people start to pick up the vegetarian or vegan lifestyle and they think, oh, piece of cake, I could do that? Yeah, I mean, success always kind of uh, breeds imitation, right? And and people just kind of, there's a stampede going on right now with uh, lots of entrepreneurs trying to figure out how to do this. Um, there's been a lot of money that's gone into the space. Uh, we've we've self-funded ours, um, so we've taken a different approach. But yeah, th- there is a, a stampede of companies trying to figure out how to do this, uh, including some of the largest um, meat planets on on the company, right, or on the in the in the world, trying to figure out um, how to address this because diners are moving in this direction. Um, and I think what's really interesting, and my guess is Chris is seeing this in his restaurant as well, a lot, most of the diners that are eating this food are not vegan and vegetarians, right? Mm-hmm. This is not what this yeah. food is kind of calibrated for. Uh, it truly is calibrated for omnivores, con- carnivores, and flexitarians. And there are a lot of what are called flexitarians um, because when you look at the, the pool of vegans and vegetarians out there, it's about 5% of the population. But there's an 80% churn of that population every three years. So there are a lot of ex-vegans and vegetarians out there who want to eat differently every once in a while. Um, At one of the uh, chains that we work with called Veggie Grill, which is the largest plant-based chain in the country where everything there is plant-based, 80% of their clients aren't vegan and vegetarian. And so I think that's representative of where the market is going. And when the market starts moving in that direction, it obviously attracts a lot of attention to people trying to figure out, well, how can I address that demand? That's Todd Boyman. He's the CEO of Hungry Planet. Um, we're also talking today to Chris Bertke, who is the executive chef of the new restaurant, Utah Station. Let's go back to the phone lines. We've actually got a call here from Lori from Wildwood. Lori, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. 
Um, thanks for taking the call. I have a question. I am a, a lazy vegetarian. <laughs> I have never eaten much meat my whole life. Um, but what has brought me back to go, what has taken me back to eating meat regularly, and, and it's been years now since I've eaten it, but um, is the complete protein aspect. I love junk food. It's awful, I know. Um, <laughs> no I, judgment here. <laughs> I, but I, you know, I, I was vegan for a very short time, but, but that didn't last, you know, as long as I'd hoped. But vegetarian now for years. And wondering, is there, is there, I know the target for your, it sounds like you just mentioned that the target was not vegetarians and vegans. Um, but I, being a lazy vegetarian, really need to get my complete proteins. You know, I tend to be slightly anemic, and I know how important the iron is and, and the protein. Um, are these substitutes going to be providing complete proteins? Lori, thank you for that question. I appreciate that. Um, Todd, can you speak to that? I know you've got a yeah. lot of different offerings, but in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, you can get all the protein that you need. Um, our uh, beef patty, for example, which is a popular item, uh, we have half the calories of conventional meat. Uh, we have just as much protein or more as conventional meat. Um, we also have fiber, which you don't get from conventional meat. Um, and we have a fraction of the fat and a fraction of the sodium of um, what is used in processed meats as well as what's um, used in some other of the uh, well-known uh, plant-based burgers. Um, and, and I think probably what, what we should do is we should have a uh, – you know, a special tasting down at, at Utah, uh, Chris's place. Uh, he was sharing with me earlier some of the things that he's done, some of the true junk food that he makes um, using uh, our food on occasion. Um, and it's just delicious. I think you were making some, was it chicken fries or something like that, Chris? Yeah, you were talking it, was, about. it was home one night and uh, craving chicken fries from Burger King. Haven't had them for obviously 26, 7 years. And yet that craving lingers. It's still there. And uh, had some matched chicken. And did a weird process and uh, made it into chicken fries. And it was just, it was spot on. It was great. Yeah. So so, so you can get all the nutrition, but you can also have the junk food. Yeah. And you cannot feel guilty about it because, um, you know, net, net, the, the health profile of that is going to be a lot better. And if you don't know in advance that what you're eating is a plant-based <laughs> chicken fry, you know, you, you, would have, you would have no idea. So, Chris, we're on, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's and do it. The main thing is you get to experiment, too. You know, I never would have thought that I could make something that bizarre out of a plant-based meat. But you can. But you can. You can. Yeah. Lori, thank you for triggering that collaboration. We appreciate your call. <laughs> um, speaking of experimenting, we did get a pivotal question from a caller um, who was happy to just um, take the answer off the air. Laura from Webster Grove wants to know, do either of you offer a toasted ravioli option? <laughs> <laughs> and boy, is that a good idea. Uh, yeah, that's our biggest seller at Utah. Oh, so you've already got that going. Yeah, we had, yeah I've been uh, – I think I started those up about – Man, it was about four years ago, and uh, I think I ba- publicly debuted them at VegFest last year in St. Louis and uh, sold out just within hours, and I made thousands of them, and uh, it's, it's our biggest seller at Utah right now. Everything made from scratch, and yeah, it's Is that great. something that might be available to a home cook who doesn't live, say, close to Benton Park? Um, well, so we, we sell currently our food in a couple of different ways, primarily to food service, but we do sell it under our match brand um, in Deerberg's. 
Um, and there you can buy the chicken, the pork, the Italian sausage, and beef in bulk format. So if you're a home cook that's interested in making your own, you can make virtually anything you want. Oh, and so you could make toasted ravioli out of your product. You could do pot saying. stickers. You could use uh, topping on pizza. You could use it any way you want. Um, in addition, we then have uh, burgers, a Southwest uh, Chipotle chicken patty, and a crab cake. So those are all available at retail. And we are collaborating uh, right now with some uh, food producers working on things such as pot stickers and and whatnot to be announced uh, later, but well, this should is be some, available soon. This yeah. is some really exciting news yeah. and, and good news for our callers today. Um, sadly, we are out of time, but uh, Todd Boyman of Hungry Planet, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you for and having Chris me. And Chris Bertke of the new restaurant, Utah Station. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.